The White Lotus Season 2 finale is over. But we're just getting started here on the White Lotus Podcast. My name is Ariel, and I am delighted. I have such a smile on my face here as, as we are recording right after the episode uh, to welcome in my co-host, Dr. Amanda. How are you doing? I am overwhelmed. I'm cavelling. I'm processing. I'm sitting here in the aftermath of this incredible season of television, um, trying to process this all in real time. Ariel, I have my podcasting Aperol Spritz here to uh-huh. help me <laughs> on my way. Um, just to to sort of take back the curtain a little bit, Ariel and I are recording this immediately after watching mm-hmm. the season finale here late on a Sunday night, um, coming right to you to give you this content that you so desperately need after <laughs> yeah we're going to help we're going to help pull you out of the the uh, the dark tumultuous waters of the ionic sea mm-hmm. up onto the boat we are the policia muertia here doing our job digging all mm-hmm. the bodies out and talking about it with all of you it's incredible. I'm so excited to talk it all through. Uh, just a reminder for people to subscribe to the White Lotus Poetry Recaps podcast feed. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, PoetryRecaps.com slash White Lotus and rate review. Let's see. What do we have, Dr. Man, on the schedule? We're going to do this. Then we have uh, feedback. feedback with Chappelle. We have a really great guest to talk mm-hmm. through all of your finale feedback so um you know get that in quickly because we're going to be recording that on um sort of later in the day on monday which is really exciting Mm -hmm. um and if you don't have time to get in feedback by monday evening um do not fret because we're going to do a postseason wrap up with an incredible guest the great nicole sesternino is going to come on with us near the end of the week to process the whole of season two, get any That's last exciting. minute takes, which is very exciting. And Ariel, did you, did you know? No, that you, you know, I didn't, I, you know, the answer is always no. Did you know that we're going to be guests on Rob and Josh watch to talk about wow. season two of the white Lotus? I can't remember which one gets released first. So no, I cannot comment on, on, on the order of things, but no, that's super exciting. That's, that's very, very exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait to see how that conversation might have already turned out because it may have already happened. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's talk about what definitely has already happened. Mm -hmm. Let's not, let's not bury the lead in its watery death in the ionic sea. In the grave. Yeah. We now know what body it is that brushed up against Daphne in the water it yeah. was none other than our dear. It was it was the great Tanya McQuad. McQuad, rest in peace, Tanya. Oh. You'll always have the sea, the Ionian Sea. You'll have your. I mean, theoretically, right? I said this at one point earlier in the season. All the seas are connected, right? So all over the world. So she's really in the same water mm-hmm. that she uh, released her mother's. My actress, mother, yes, famous mother. She'll always have that. And then I guess she'll also have the bloody rampage that caused oh my gosh. her to come to this. Yes. 
So de death is the last immersive experience, as uh, mm -hmm. as Tanya said, and now she has achieved that last uh, that that last destination unlocked. The true um, escape room. But this was, I mean, this was a crazy, crazy twist. So she goes out in a murderous rampage, and and we actually we talked about this Ariel. Like, wouldn't it be super fun if Mike White gave Tanya a super hero moment mm -hmm. where she yeah. gets to figure out what the high-end gays are up to she gets to figure out their plot and mm -hmm. and turns it around on them and she absolutely does it she does it oh she does it all right she does not uh she does not not do it is there and i kept waiting for like another twist on the twist of like maybe in fact they weren't bad and like quentin was going to mm -hmm. reveal something but i think you know the fact that and never came uh we think like is greg gonna gonna what is greg gonna do now right like ostensibly maybe he does get life insurance greg is, greg is gonna get the money right like you this know. all worked out great for greg <sighs> greg he's so smart he was like he no there's no way he knew there's no way he thought it would turn out like this but she did him a favor right she she not only did she get rid of herself she got rid of all the evidence yeah, and 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 she all and now he doesn't have to pay Quentin for the job. That's true. So he gets even more money. What was she doing, thinking that she was going to make that jump? I thought that she was going to land on her feet and fall backwards, but it didn't even make it that. Girl far. did not even take off her heels. Ariel, <laughs> I kept yelling. I was like, Tanya, no, you can't do this. Just take off your heels. Take off the heels. Oh um, my goodness! But but how do you get how do you get off a boat like that, Ariel? Have you ever got? Have you ever? Usually there's a ladder. You, oh, there's, there's a ladder. Okay. <laughs> I'm unyachting now. Uh, mm -hmm. you you. I, I feel like she was better off going a little more towards the back. Like uh -huh. there were stairs and, and it would have been a little easier. But obviously, obviously she's panicking, although she just killed everyone. So like, I feel like the panic would be a little bit lower. You have like a hot second to kind of, I mean, I guess she's scared of the captain. Right. Um, Did we hear the captain's footsteps? Like I, I was wondering if she was in a rush for any good reason. Yeah. Well, we heard the, we heard his footsteps. Then she... Then she saw him on the on the top and he ran away again. So she was probably thinking, oh, he's about to call the cops or something. So I think okay. she ran away. But she, it was her final jump. She, she didn't even really get to jump, right? She kind of like tripped off the thing and then kind of dinked her head, I think, right? Yeah, I think she hit her head on the way down. Um, So she like she does. I think that she's possibly dead by the time she hits the water. Um. An incredible ending for Tanya. Like, she's not ultimately undone by Greg. She's not ultimately undone by Quentin and the high-end gaze. She's undone by her own incompetence. Yeah, she... <laughs> and she had gotten away. Yeah, it just makes it that much more tragic that she arguably, you know, allegedly, allegedly did this in self-defense mm -hmm. and is halfway there and then stumbles quite literally in the 11th hour and can't close can't close it out. I guess she used all her brain power solving the mystery cuz hot damn did it take her a while to put all the things together while she was sitting there. It took her it took her a while. Like so let's let's kind of let's rewind and and walk back how exactly we get here to this ending with mm -hmm. Tanya on the boat um in her untimely death. Um, so 
it starts off where she, you know, she learns that Portia never came back mm-hmm. from her day trip yes. with Jack. Um, she does go back to Quentin's room to revisit this picture that she saw of Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes her like a good 10 minutes to remember that she saw the picture and then to think, oh, maybe I should go seek this picture out to to do more research now that I'm not all coked out or at least less coked out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she even like tells Quentin like, hey, this guy looks exactly like Greg. So she's give she's really letting Quentin know that she's that she's curious at this point, that she's suspicious, mm-hmm. which seems like a bad thing to do if you really are suspicious that this could be somebody who has, you know, at least I don't know if she knows what his, she if she's even gotten far enough to imagine what his intentions might be, but she's yeah. she's revealing quite a bit. Yeah, these this is the these are the actions of a person who is not fearful of her life right now. Like Mm -hmm. I think if she were a little bit more at this point in time, uh, fearful that she is in actual danger, she wouldn't reveal all of that for fear of, you know, inciting anger or whatever. But yeah, her, for her to just be like, I think this might be him in a way kind of doubting herself and be like, well, it can't be him. Right. Cause you just called him Steve and, all these things are very easily explained away, but this is this is an incredible an incredible coincidence. As she says, the resemblance is uncanny. It's uncanny. And I guess that's not. I mean, now I'm thinking, oh my god, is it a coincidence? But no, it's not. It's not. A coincidence. No, no. And and it isn't really until she gets on the phone with Portia um, later on on the boat where it's Portia's it's Portia's skepticism because of what she's been going through with Jack that really spurs this. Portia's the one who says, you know, I I have a feeling that something is bad is going to happen. And this is when Tanya finally reveals the information about exactly what she saw the other night, which, which she says, you know, they were, they were naked and stuff like that. (laughs) Way to, way to undersell it, Tanya. Yeah, well, and then she's like, well, he was kind of effing his uncle. Yeah, it was very South Park. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanya just, <laughs> when she finally does do it, she can't even like really do it properly. It's it's hysterical. It's classical Tanya. Yeah. And she's, I do love this moment. Like we had called out the possibility at some point, I think it was uh, last week at some point maybe, or the week before of, wouldn't it be fun if like these two could actually have a little bit of a, you know, a detective duo mm-hmm. a, a dynamic going and, and they do here for like a good three or four minutes of these, of this phone call before Jack like unceremoniously snatches the phone from Portia. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is fun to see that they're kind of like reclaiming their destiny here. Like there's that um great scene from, episode six where Portia and Tanya have that conversation where Tanya sort of talks about um, being wayward that she sees herself in Portia and that Portia just needs to kind of like get a grip and, and take charge of her life. And this is like really where you see Portia saying, Hey, I'm with this guy, Jack, and this doesn't feel right. And I don't feel safe. And Tanya's saying like, Hey, you know, I'm not just going to go along with this. So they do get to each have that moment, I think. Yeah, no, I think I think they do. And, and, you know, talking about Portia, I think she she definitely got the 
the scarier end of the deal. Ultimately, I think, you know, for, for sure, Tanya, uh, you know, her, her untimely de- demise and the rampage before, right before that, notwithstanding, I think she, you know, she was obviously being lulled into a sense of complacency and just kind of that everything was okay. Whereas Portia, once the Portia is able to kind of peek behind the curtain, you know, to use what you said earlier and see something that she doesn't like and something that I think, frankly, we as viewers weren't expecting this, this side of Jack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's we'll get more into what happens with Jack and Portia. Um, but what Tanya is able to piece together at this point is sort of exactly what we had been talking about for a few weeks now. Like when, you know, right before Greg leaves Sicily, he mentions the prenup and now we hear confirmation from tanya that if we divorce he basically gets nothing but Mm -hmm. if i die then he does get her estate it sounds like um Mm -hmm. yeah she never quite finishes the sentence but we can kind of draw our own conclusions that he's definitely going to get a lot more than he'd get otherwise Mm -hmm. so like there was a little bit of ambiguity i think leading up to this about you know are we trying to nullify the prenup by getting evidence of infidelity. Is that what Quentin is there to do? Um, you know, one of the things we said, well, if if that's what the plan is, why is it so critical to get Portia out of the way? And it seems yeah, that like true. the reason was that they would they were trying to get Tanya alone on a boat so that they could kill her. And just like to meditate on this for a moment, you brought this up. Ariel, there's like no way that Tanya misunderstood this situation. There's no way that this wasn't like a hit and she took it the wrong way and just raged out with Nicolo's gun. Like we think that Tanya's reading it right, that Greg did order this hit on Tanya using this connection he had to Quentin in Sicily. This was the whole point of the trip. This is exactly why he was disappointed that Portia comes along um jack was deployed by quentin to get portia out of the way so that they could carry out this plan where nicolo is going to kill tanya on a boat yeah and i think uh you know we it's i was quick to to call out chekhov's bandage with with uh mm-hmm. grandpa burt but ultimately it was just chekhov's gun right that we mm. we see the gun introduced and clearly it was going to be important and i think to your point just now about like there being no way this this is, you know, that their intentions aren't made ultimately clear here. I think that the Jack, you know, all, all the pieces put together, like I th- if you're analyzing separate pieces of it, maybe at different times, you can kind of talk yourself out of it. But when you're looking at everything and the whole puzzle as you were describing it, and for me, especially the Jack piece ultimately of like how, how he turns with, Portia and what he ultimately says to her and what the message that he leaves her with I think that is like cementing you know again even though they they die it's we never really see their menace all we can see is like their menace reflected in Jack's face ultimately right right yeah we get we get much more of a reckoning between Portia and Jack because Portia is going to call him out on taking her phone right so she wakes up in the morning and her phone is not there she knows that she left it charging she couldn't find him on instagram 
He doesn't do that stuff, Ariel. Not even, not even Instagram. Not even Instagram. She's like super sus. She's like, and even, we know even from- monks have Instagram. <laughs> right? And she, we know from like episode one or two when she found Albie that she's good at stalking people. Very uh, good so internet stalker. Yeah. She she finds it very strange that he wouldn't at least have an Instagram for like the pictures of dogs that he sees in his <laughs> travels or I don't know, other things that are in Sussex. His new tattoos that he gets. All those tats. Mm-hmm. All, just retweeting other people's tattoo designs. Even, right. You know? Right. At the very least. Come on. Um, so, so Portia is, you know, extremely, extremely skeptical of Jack after talking to Tanya She's going to ask him what's going on and she's going to, you know, confront him about, you know, knowing about that his relationship with his uncle in quotes. And this is when Jack sort of drops the facade mm-hmm. um, and insists that he is going to drive her back to Taramina. Um, and, you know, of course he doesn't. He's going to take her instead to um Catania where the airport is and sort of leave her somewhere within walking distance of the airport but a place that looks you know nonetheless very very unsafe super sketchy yeah Yeah. and he does um eventually toss her phone out the window um and sort of leave her on her way um he tells you know Portia you know not that she that she's smart she's smarter than him don't be stupid you can't you shouldn't go back to the hotel um, it's almost if, you know, Ariel, I wonder what you think, like, does he have some sort of mercy on Portia here? Like, is he out of some kind of goodwill trying to keep her away from what he knows is probably happening at the White Lotus? Oh, perhaps like he did actually mean to take her back to the hotel and he ultimately decides not to, um, I could see it, honestly. Like, maybe there's something in the way that she perhaps surprises him. I mean, obviously, he's he seems genuinely surprised that she knows about his physical relationship with Quentin, right? Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps that is the thing that kind of shocks him into underestimating her a little bit less and kind of taking the situation a little more serious. This is, you know, in the world where, like, maybe he decided against taking her back to the hotel. I can kind of see that being his thinking where he's actually like let me throw her a bone here and 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 take her to the airport because because i don't know how the how the other thing is going to turn out and clearly he's way more scared of them than than even we were uh when we were kind of suspecting them because this is like potentially a liability right for jack and quentin if portia Mm -hmm. you know does go free like she is i mean we 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 noticed that she was wearing a godfather t-shirt in the last episode we talked Mm -hmm. about apollonia being collateral damage Mm -hmm. um Portia wasn't supposed to be in Sicily, according to Greg and Quentin's plan. Here she is. Now she is going to know that something's up. Mm-hmm. If she shows up in back in Terramina, is Niccolo going to finish the job? Is this going to be another loose end that needs to get tied up? Like you wonder if she flies back to the States and finds out that Tanya is dead. Does this like potentially leave... Um, you know, Greg vulnerable. Does it leave Quentin vulnerable? So I don't know, like, what do you, do we, what do you think of the wisdom of Jack letting Portia go here? I think, I think he is trying to 
I think that what he says to her at the end, for the most part, all seems genuine, right? Like he has no reason to lie to her at that point, because again, he's been like kind of uh, outed, so to speak. And I think he does, he does believe in her, not just her intelligence, but seemingly like her, her innocence and her kind of deserving to survive this, this incident. I think to your point, it's potentially, potentially problematic for him, especially, but I think think he probably knows Portia well enough or he thinks he knows Portia well enough that she's not going to say anything now I think there's no way Portia's going to say anything because even when Albie's talking her at the end she's like cool like that is never going to come out of her mouth she's not going to be the person who 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 talks about this ever well you don't think she's going to go on another first date like she did with Albie and spill (laughs) all of the tea about her employer like Portia's not exactly the person with the most chill in the world no, but I think she's she's seen at least for the moment. Maybe it'll pass. It seems like she's she's been scared straight, quote unquote. Like she's been, she, Jack literally put the fear fear of God into her, and she's gonna know. Like even here, she kind of got an inkling that it might be Tanya who died. And to me, mm-hmm. it seemed like okay, hands off. You know, I'm gonna go through the world now with these sunglasses. And I love her little uh, the scarf around the the little ode. For me, that was like an ode to Tanya. That was like Tanya lives on, like a little little like scarf, like a Monica Vitti scarf around her head. Tanya lives on. Um, Yeah, I mean, I wonder. Like, you know, maybe we'll talk about this more. Maybe we'll get some feedback about this. But I wonder if, like, potentially Portia here is a loose end um, for Greg. Like if we have future seasons of the white Lotus, now we know that Tanya will not be staying at future white Lotuses. This was her last memorable experience, Ariel. Yeah. That's always a memorable experience when she stays at a white Lotus. This time she never left. She liked it so much. She never left. Yes. She and her mother both being laid to rest on the lapping waves of a resort hotel, um, just as uh, just as she would have wanted. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just I wonder if we see in a future season, like, you know, I don't know if Greg would play a large role, but if like Portia comes back, or if we find out, or if we hear some more murmurs about what happened here, um. I think it's just interesting that she has all of this information. Um, she's going to come home now. She doesn't have a job, obviously. Yeah, she um, barely has a phone. Who knows how she, her phone, you know, is doing after he threw it out mm-hmm. the window. Like Ellie, well, she did get Albie's number. So we'll circle back. We'll circle back to that. Um, so before we leave the Tanya and Portia plot to talk about our other White Lotus guests, um, I have a feeling, Ariel, that this is going to be a bit of a controversial ending. Like, we're just in the immediate aftermath of having finished the finale. I've seen a little bit of reaction, but I haven't seen a lot. So I don't really know what the dominant word on the street is. Yeah. But Jennifer Coolidge is so beloved. Tanya has become part of the brand of this show. Like, we Mm -hmm. had even said, like, this is something like this is a character that's so precious to Mike White. Like, mm-hmm. would he let her die in the second season? And it seems that he has. Like, yeah. are we satisfied with this ending? I I personally am. I think even though and it's not just because I was like, you know, I think I'd said on the pod a couple of times, I kind of 
want her cleared off the board. But that's, your team that's, high end gay, you I want did. that bitch dead. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I wanted. Uh, I I think it's what happened. What ended up happening was so surreal. Like with some of the other plot points, you didn't get like this explosive thing that we thought maybe coming and then it started to feel like maybe there wasn't going to be a thing although the the tension in the Tanya storyline was pretty consistent and then he right when it started like to be clear it was a very violent like horrific nightmarish moment where she pulls out the gun and and she's starting to cry we've seen her cry before and you kind of think they're going to burst in and she's not going to be able to to fire the gun off. I think that's where we think like the cliche is going, right? Like this like mm -hmm. helpless woman, you know, like, oh, I can't fire the gun. The guy's going to overpower me. And then it takes that turn and it's horrific. And I really thought at one point that she was going to wake up and it was going to be like her dissociating. Like for the first few mm. shots, I thought, wait, is this really happening? Well, was maybe she was still in Hawaii and Belinda was, was giving her a massage. <laughs> oh God, it was all a dream. Um, and then once it became clear that it was real, it was like, wow, she, she wouldn't it be that much more tragic if, if, if it weren't true that, that her suspicion of them, but I think it absolutely is. And then ultimately for her to be not, not maybe not just cap incapable of getting away with it, but like karmically not uh, supposed to in a way, I think yes. is, is, is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I do think that I'm satisfied with this ending. And I say this tentatively because I, I do, like, anticipate that some people will be disappointed to see Tanya go this way. Um, but it did seem to me a little bit like what we had seen from Tanya from in episodes one through six didn't really seem Fitting of like the grandeur that justifies bringing Jennifer Coolidge and Tanya McQuad back. I think you bring her back. It's got to be big. And to mm -hmm. me, like that big moment is her figuring out what's happening to her on the boat mm -hmm. and like claiming her power, getting Nico's gun, taking out all the high end gays mm -hmm. and going to escape and then I think like whenever there's a big character death in a show like you I try to think about the alternate reality where they live and go on and continue to have a life and what could we want to see from that character that would be satisfying and with Tanya like this really does feel to me like her final act like she mm. was in season one this single wayward woman who was desperately looking for love and acceptance and couldn't deal with the death of her mother. She finds Greg and she's married for years. Like she has a marriage with this mm -hmm. man. And like, what do we want for her next to find another man to like go to on another vacation to find another Belinda and toy with her? Like, I just no. feel like this was like, this was the last act, the final immersive experience. Like she, is getting out of this bad marriage. She's just killed several people. Like this woman is like not going Murder. to like, like this is not a good outcome. Like maybe her mm -hmm. money can insulate her from something, but like right. even, you know, like we said with Shane, it's like, even if he doesn't 
experience repercussions like legally for having killed Armand. Like this man now lives with a human's death on his hands. Um, So I do feel like there's something that feels very fitting about this death for Tanya. And she didn't Mm -hmm. die because they got her. Like they didn't get her. No, they didn't get her. She she got herself. And I think it is, I agree with you that it is like the big, it feels like a big enough finale that, that you would, as an actor, you want to, to have this moment, to play this moment and play out this character's future. And she wasn't, she wasn't the doll that she described herself as like waiting for someone to pick her up anymore. She killed all the people who were playing with the doll. And the only thing for her to do as a doll was fall into the water. And we know that dolls can't swim. So, Oh, there you it go. Sense. It, kind of makes sense. it was totally foreshadowed. Yes. Dolls. Uh-huh. Um, so so tanya is dead that's the body r.i.p oh my well i mean we'll have lots of time to talk about tanya when we get back together this week i mean i thought that this was a great episode for jennifer coolidge i thought that this was incredible um her her moments her moments of emotion even like before you know, the, her untimely demise and the untimely demise of everyone on that boat, except I should say, I guess the captain, the captain survived. Good for him. He's oh. like pure soul. And he's gay too. Too and he's gay. Everyone too is. Gay. Everyone's, Everyone's gay. gay. I was like, yeah, uh, he, he, he seemed to survive. So good for him. He lives to, he lives to, to captain this ghost ship for, for another day. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's goodbye to goodbye to Tanya. Goodbye to Tanya. Gone, gone, but not forgotten. Never. And and Portia manages to make it to the airport. Um, I guess we'll talk about the whole final airport scene together. Um, but uh, you know, I I was so I mean I think that what for both of these women in this episode. The tension that builds throughout the episode is like so palpable. It's so menacing. We have these two women who are alone at the mercy of men who are, you know, using a mix of charm and uh, kind of threat to keep them um, going along with something that they don't feel comfortable with. I was very, very worried about Portia with Jack. Jack really had this kind of like, air about him that felt like he was capable of anything and we didn't really know what he was capable of so to have that like moment and like he literally had his arm even just in the beginning of the episode where you could argue he was his least menacing he is like physically imposing himself on top of her when they're in the hotel room like he's not you know he's not letting her go is what his body language is saying Mm -hmm. so you know it's not it's 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 tough it's a tough look for for our boy jack here yeah, so she's gonna go home having had a very memorable, a very memorable experience at the White and Lotus. And some some nifty new sunglasses too. Mm-hmm. New sunglasses, um, ever the fashionista. I uh, I did read an article, uh, an interview with this the um, costume designer for this season. So when we talk about our feedback, I do want to bring in some stuff from that because I thought that was really fun. Um, her thoughts about putting together Porsche's looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she'll get a t-shirt that says uh, my boss got killed in, in Italy and all I got were these <laughs> sunglasses at the airport. 
Um, okay, are, are you ready to move on to talking about Ethan and Harper and Cameron? Harper, and my love. Everyone survived. I'm so happy. I would love to talk about them. So I was really, I called in our last episode, Ariel, my, my feedback show prediction mm -hmm. was that Harper was going to die um, because of Ethan doing some macho bonehead thing. Mm -hmm. And that does not happen. Everybody, everybody in this foursome in this foursome is very much alive at the end of the episode. Very much alive. I do. Th I think that you were half right. He does do like the macho boneheaded thing mm -hmm. of like getting into a fight with with Cameron in the water and uh, almost drowning him, and then almost getting drowned in return. But um, yeah, this is just like a regular. It seems like this will just be a story, a story that they all tell separately. I I think it's it's fascinating that with Albie and Portia and then here it's like the season one finale and this finale showed us like the airport is the place where couples come back to each other where they return mm -hmm. to each other and I think this this season came to bear in the same way and and uh, a new couple was formed and these two couple these other two couples like were reinforced in this way and now everybody has a secret we all have secrets from each other <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the answer so this is this feels like a very cynical view of marriage to me, Ariel. Like whatever. I mean, we and and whatever do you mean? <laughs> and and this feels a little bit like a continuation of what we got in the season one finale when we see Rachel and Shane come back together at the mm -hmm. airport to go on their happy newlywed life together knowing all along with this that there's this undercurrent of like deep dissatisfaction um at the end of this episode seemingly like harper and ethan have never been better cameron and daphne are as happy as ever um everybody's everybody's feeling great but they've probably all effed each other by the end of this episode more or less i mean you're not wrong i think it's it's fascinating where everything goes it's fascinating how quickly we find out um you know so if we're talking about harper first it's it's crazy how quickly the truth comes out like i thought they were gonna kind of mm -hmm. uh you know leave us hanging with that for a little bit longer that came in my to my to my memory like pretty early in the in the finale when she finally admits to him and then it just it, it's incredible to watch because I, I don't know about you like I was watching that and I was like she's totally lying like I was I was right there with him of like oh I really want to believe Harper but I don't believe her at all yeah it's I'll, I'll tell so I mean it's hard to know right because there's been so much ambiguity sort of laced throughout um in terms of what who's being unfaithful and what is the extent to which they've been unfaithful mm -hmm. um here the story as harper tells it is that yes cameron did come back up to the room they came back up to the room together not to get her son hat which is a very important point to ethan <laughs> um but he kisses her she Reports to have regretted it immediately. Ethan comes to the door around that time um, to find it latched. So Cameron has latched the door. He goes and escapes back through the door between the rooms. 
after, you know, nothing more than a momentary kiss. And it's interesting that it's this like momentary kiss that is in question because that's exactly analogous to, I think, Ethan's transgression with Mia, that there was a momentary kiss and he does eventually push her away but there's this gray area, right, mm-hmm. where he allows it to happen. And we're not and we do see that entire episode transpire. So we know what Ethan actually did. And then we get right. to hear the way that he reported it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found Harper's report, like her presentation of it, even though we don't see what she actually did to feel more believable and credible than when Ethan is, you know, basically telling the truth to harper yeah did did he to your memory did he actually own up to them kissing right and or or he said that like she tried to kiss him yes but he didn't do any sex stuff right he didn't do any sex stuff which we know is true like Mm -hmm. you said because we watched it i think it's i think it's just it's fascinating that he even though he lied to her for longer, I think, right? By my calculation, Ethan, he eventually did tell her the truth, but he was driven to do so by evidence because he spent a whole day denying it. But then he can't accept. Now, I I think she's initially lying. I agreed with him initially that she's lying. Then once she says that nothing else happened beyond the kissing, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to believe her, but I understand why he doesn't believe her. But this is exactly the root for him to be able to now see it from the other side, I think is so compelling because he has every reason to believe her, but he also has every reason not to believe her. And he here, he really does seem to believe that she's lying most importantly. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's kind of having kind of trying to have it both ways, but in a very human relatable way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He in no way like takes his own experience and uses that to be empathic about her experience. It's more like, Oh, well, I know maybe, maybe to some extent he knows that he was being somewhat dishonest. So Mm -hmm. he assumes that she's also being somewhat dishonest. Um, And I think it's really interesting that Mike White makes a choice of showing us everything that Ethan reports, right, vis-a-vis what happened with Mia and Lucia, but not showing us anything of what Harper, what transpired between Harper and Cameron. So we have no way of judging, you know, whether she's representing it accurately here. Um, I do tend to believe her, like what she describes, like does feel more in line with both of those characters. Like I said, like I don't see Harper being able to have impulsive sex in a few stolen minutes with Cameron. Like it does feel more like she might've accepted a kiss and then, you know, it, and then, and then eventually rejected it. And that does like kind of jibe more with the fact that the door was latched and all of the rest of the evidence. Um, But the, as Ethan says, the most important part is, did he take his D out? That's what yes, very important. That's what it- I thought was hilarious because he's so serious when he says it. Like he's he could not be any more serious or hurt in that moment when he's asking her. But just to hear that sentence be uttered in such a serious way is immediately hysterical. 
Ethan, like so many people on Twitter, very interested in whether Cameron is taking his D out. Um, yes, Theo James, you're doing it right. <laughs> um, but it's like it, and it does also for Ethan seem like as much about Cameron as it is about Harper, right? It's like this is yeah. this is like the pattern that he has with Cameron of Cameron always one upping him. Cam this is what Cameron did when he liked girls in college. Um, you know, Cam, you know, now he makes more money than Cameron. The money is gonna come up again when he finally goes to confront him. So it's not just that his wife might have been unfaithful, it's also that he was coming on this vacation to feel like, okay, now I'm in this man's league. Like now he has to look at me with respect. And for him to like hit, like, you know, have sex with his wife or at least come on to his wife it takes it to you know a different level and that seems to be the thing that really makes ethan's blood boil yeah because it feel and i would argue that that's more of it that if it were a stranger he probably wouldn't care as much which says a lot about how he feels about harper and harper to her credit calls all that out but i think or at least you know the whole uh she she sees his anger towards cameron for sees it for what it is and i think it's absolutely just that because what does he do in that moment he doesn't want to talk to harper about why he wants to go punch cameron in the face because for him like the injustice almost and the like the monumental you know uh twist in his in his life that he's seeing now is like for this thing to happen and for he for him to end up where he always felt he was before when they were in college and probably thought he would never end up there again. There was no possibility this could ever happen again. And to be witnessing it and for it to have already happened kind of in front of him is, is like unbearable for him. But again, it's because it's Cameron. It kind of has right. nothing to do with, with Harper in a way. Right. And for Harper, like she's trying to bring it back to like, well, this isn't what it's about. It's about how you're not attracted to me anymore. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, I think it's about Very both. Salt and pepper. Let's yeah. talk about sex. <laughs> oh yes, let's talk uh, about you and me. Let's yeah. not talk about Cameron. Let's but... talk about Cameron and Daphne. <laughs> um, I think that they're both. I think that they're both right here. Like, I think that they both have a point. Like for Ethan here, he feels like she has violated the vows of their marriage mm -hmm. in some way that he still feels very confident that he hasn't right like he mm -hmm. still very much stands by whatever happened um with lucia and mia was not him breaking his vows um so he's you know understandably very concerned about what harper has done but harper has been struggling with this feeling of not being enough for him of him not wanting her in that way for a long time so to mm -hmm. her that's the issue. And I feel like this is something that's very true to life in couples arguments that they have and like tensions in relationships is that, you know, both parties are sort of looking at a different side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, no, this is the part that's important to me. Right. Um, and the reason that they're not able to find common ground is because they're both sort of holding on to their piece of the argument instead of trying to meet the other person where they are so um this felt very true to life yeah absolutely and i think 
even though I agree with Harper only in the sense that like that thing is absolutely more pressing ultimately, like it kind of doesn't matter what Har what Harper independently and what Ethan independently do without each other because this problem is so much more fundamental. Like him not being attracted to her is is a thing that in and of itself is going to break the marriage up. Now that doesn't mean that that she's just allowed to do whatever she wants. Like she's still in this in this two-way, you know, relationship in this marriage, but it is a thing that already makes it untenable. So for her to say like it kind of doesn't matter until we solve this issue is like pretty fair in my opinion. Yeah, and she was trying to address this before anything exactly. had happened. Mm -hmm. That's an important yeah, that's an important distinction. For you. Um so, you know, Ethan is going to be, like, all jacked up on his, like, macho anger here. And he mm -hmm. looks for Cameron in his room. He goes to find him on the beach. Um, and, like, these two men are just going to wrestle and try to drown each other in the mm -hmm. water, Ariel. As one does. Uh, yeah, I think they they played chicken on their on their jet skis, and here mm -hmm. it was where we don't have the jet skis anymore. We're just gonna actually physically assault each other and play chicken with our <laughs> oxygen levels, like in our lungs with each other. Uh, and I think w what's more funny and entertaining is Mike White playing with our expectations here in this part because we know mm -hmm. somebody's found the water. So obviously we're like. Oh God, is this it? Is somebody going to drown accidentally? Is Cameron going to accidentally drown Ethan or vice versa? And you're kind of watching it happen in real time. And you're like, wait, this seems like a little bit too long for people to be underwater, but like you have maybe five more seconds. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of, a lot of tension in this, in this scene. Yeah. I was very worried. I was very worried for both of these dummies here. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, this is, I, I do feel like this is the kind of thing I remember like, you know, broy dudes doing like fighting and be like, I'm gonna hold you underwater, and it's like sort of scary. Um, but they don't really let it get that scary. I mean, I did. Did you think for a That's moment code, that this, it's bro code? Um, did you think for a minute that this was going to be the end of either of these characters? Yeah, it, it seemed. I was concerned for sure when Ethan was first drowning Cameron. And then when Cameron out of anger is doing it back to Ethan, I was like, oh no, this is so much more tragic for like him to do it kind of in self-defense, but like mm. for sure still, you know, like doing it intentionally and Ethan to just like die in his anger, like a product of his own anger um, seemed like very, very possible in the moment. But um, ultimately, again, it's like it's like you're watching an episode of, of like Law and Order and you're like, well, it's a little early in the episode for the killer to be. Right, revealed. right. Exactly. I mean, you look not. at you look down at your phone. And you're like, OK, no, 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 this isn't. Yeah, this exactly. isn't it. <laughs> um, but like, luckily, they, the whole fight gets broken up by another bro. By a nondescript. <laughs> nondescript <white> bro. <laughs> um, and. Ethan's going to go walk along the shore fuming. And who does he see, Ariel, but Sweet Daphne? Sweet Daphne, who we should mention, got a really good look at angry Ethan when he came bursting into mm -hmm. her room when he was looking for Cameron. So she already knew, one, that he was angry, and two, 
was probably like, oh, Ethan is like way more attractive when he has a personality. Oh, <laughs> is that <laughs> it? Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. yeah. That's maybe possible. that. Maybe he looks like a muscly Timothy Chalamet. Um, <laughs> right, like uh, somebody perhaps in the spa giving her a massage. Um. So Ethan and Daphne have almost the same conversation that Harper and Daphne had. Uh, a couple of episodes ago when Harper confides in Daphne that she thinks something happened when they were in Noto. But now Ethan is going to confide in Daphne that he thinks something happened between Cameron and Harper. Mm -hmm. And again, very similar to that conversation that Daphne had with Harper. There's a split second where you see, Daphne's face fall and like mm -hmm. that perfect smile that she always maintain maintains mm -hmm. melts away and there's a look of sadness mm -hmm. and mournfulness and fear mm -hmm. but like, then she oh no not again it then she just turns it around like a switch flips and sometimes she's... I surprise even myself I surprise okay. even myself yes um, and she says almost the exact same thing. Like, I don't think you have anything to worry about. We never really know what goes on in people's minds or what they do. You mm -hmm. spend every day with someone and still there's this little part that's a mystery. You don't need to know everything to love someone. Wow. This is, I, I have to say, like, I think Harper for sure was the, the character that I don't know, I think performance wise, let's say um, Aubrey Plaza as amazing as she was. I, at no moment I was, was I surprised? And mm -hmm. that's not to say that her performance wasn't incredible. I think she lived up to her, her name of what I have seen her be capable of. And I'm always impressed by her, but the person that surprised me the most is for sure Megan Fahey and like mm -hmm. her this moment here with her is no different like you said all the little micro movements with her face and you see all the emotions flashing and the complexities of her life as she tries to once again not think about herself as a victim and then kind of say like we just said oh I sometimes I surprise myself and that and then where that leads her with Ethan where she's like okay I guess this is what we're doing now come with mm -hmm. me she wants him to come with her come with him. her to isla bella and i wrote down about isla bella and of course this was the island that uh we get the backstory from mm. um we we get the backstory from quentin when tanya asks about it um and this was the place where a wealthy family owned the island and the estate mm -hmm. there um and oh influential family gets involved and she ends up dead in a heap on the rocks and when when we see this you know and Daphne says she wants to go walk over there because it's so beautiful and it has this like kind of menacing and imposing and threatening beauty about it Ariel like it's a very beautiful island but it's so rocky and it just feels like this is a place where something dangerous could happen. There's something dangerous about going to the island. And I do feel like that's what Daphne is kind of luring Ethan into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that idea. And I think it's reinforced by 
the way that like the whatever the sandbar the 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 rock the rocks bar uh you know <laughs> connecting the the island to the regular beach is a thing that is fleeting like because the tide is low and then when the tide returns like they might not be able to get back i think there's this like time uh element to their interaction of like they're you know they only have ever so much time that i think makes it even that much more um I don't know, probably enticing to them or to mm -hmm. her at least. And I think it's, again, we don't see what happens, but we have to assume that something does happen because he comes back seemingly activated mm -hmm. in a different way than he had been before when it comes to Harper. Right, right. So we think that they definitely go off here and have some sort of like... I mean, he definitely pulled that, his D out. Yeah, sure. he pulled his D out. <laughs> They weren't just going for the sun hat, Ariel. No, this is us. we have to say for the record that they were not there for that. Um, but later on, of course, they're going back to dinner at the hotel, and like th this foursome, like Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and Harper, have not had a single meal like not a snack Ariel like they haven't had a single bit of food off of the resort no not yeah they and then and then seemingly they're about to have the very first meal at least just in the privacy of their own couple of their own respective uh -huh. couple or halves of the two couples and Daphne and Cameron are like, oh, my God, there you oh are. Oh, my God, besties. Hey. So so what is Cameron is literally sitting there toasting them with the lesions on the contusions, rather, on his face, like from mm -hmm. the punches of Ethan. This is like bizarre. You you called you called Daphne a sociopath. This is There's like sociopathic. No, they right? no, these two are stone cold sociopaths, both of them. They both are. He's part of the dark triad they're where both, she knows No, the not. dark triad is lighting up like a freaking Christmas tree here with these two. <laughs> um they're both completely insane. And it's like and Harper and Ethan kind of have this moment like who are these people? Like why <laughs> do they want to eat dinner with us? Um mm -hmm. And it is funny, like the disconnect between Harper and Ethan and Daphne and Cameron is is funny. And we've had those moments of comedy like throughout the season, which I've really enjoyed about just like what different pages these two couples are on. And like when we see just sort of the depths of Daphne and Cameron's derangement, I feel like it, mm -hmm. it can even be heightened. Um you know, when we talk more about, um, you know, our uh, recaps or our um, sort of uh, when we do more of our coverage of the postseason, like I do want to talk a little bit because I feel like this was something where we could it could have been funnier. Like mm -hmm. this, these four could have been funnier. Like if we wanted to like amp up the comedy in this season, mm -hmm. maybe this would be one place to do it because when it hits, I think it really hits. Yeah. Um but yeah, Harper and Ethan are just like shocked that in this day where they've had like we're we're you know Ethan has almost tried to kill Cameron. Right. <laughs> this is arguably is, more than once. And then he went and had sex with Cameron's wife 
And now they all want to have dinner together and talk about how their next vacation should be at the Maldives. The Maldives, <laughs> I was like, oh no, not a season three spoiler at this awkward table. But yeah, I like the idea that like now, can like already Cameron, well, I guess Cameron and Daphne are always really on the same page, but Cameron and Daphne and, and Ethan and Harper are back on their respective same pages again in a way that they hadn't been kind of since the beginning. Like, I guess now, like you said, now that Ethan had sex with Daphne, he can go back to Harper and the two of them, just by virtue of like both having the same reaction to Ethan, uh, excuse me, having the same reaction to Daphne and Cameron wanting to come over is like, okay, they're back on the same page again. Yeah, and then they're going to go back to their room and they're going to have passionate sex for the first time in God knows how many years. Mm -hmm. And they're going to break the, the Oh, ceramic, the test of tomorrow. The test of tomorrow yes. and I guess break the curse right now that Tanya... Uh, I'm I'm a little a little fuzzy on what came first, mm -hmm. but ostensibly whether Tanya has already done the deed and died yet or not, that curse the the looming cur the looming curse as far as Harper and Ethan has been broken and yes. Tanya they're, died they're so that their sex life could live. Stop! Oh, that's Jesus. that's those are the friends we made along the way. So Christ, so Christ like Tanya dying for all of our sins. <laughs> We love to see it. <laughs> um, so, all right, Ariel, we have to unpack this. And this is like, I know we'll talk about this with our feedback guests throughout the week. Is Mike White saying that Cameron and Daphne have it right? That this is what you do. You cheat on your spouse and it makes it fun and sexy and exciting and mysterious. And that is the way to have a happy, satisfied marriage. Or is there something darker and more sinister going on here? I think that, you know, similar to season one, to me, it was, it's less about what's, what's right and not right. And more just about presenting these characters and like seeing how they collide with each other with, you know, in different combinations, there's no, there's no right or wrong. I think it's kind of, uh, it's kind of above that. I do think there is a level at which Cameron and Daphne's relationship seems to work. I don't know. I think you, your mileage may vary on whether it's actually quote unquote healthy but clearly it's a dynamic that is working and that has been working for years and that seemingly will continue to work. It has like a equilibrium or a yeah. homeostasis or yes, of absolutely. some sort. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that this is really interesting. Like are Ethan and Harper better off at the end of this trip than they were at the beginning of this trip? I think this is a fascinating question. This is one of the things that I'm most looking forward to seeing people's reaction to and talking about more. Um, I, you know, have noticed some takes on Twitter and in the discord that are saying, I'm just happy that Harper and Ethan are happily together mm -hmm. at the end. But you know, I don't know. I don't know that that's what we're supposed to come away with. Like, I don't know if this is the fairy tale ending for them or if this is more like a Shane and Rachel ending where it's like they're going to find 
an equilibrium, an equilibrium and a homeostasis, but maybe that's not a pretty picture. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think to me, it's a little less, um, a little more well-earned, I guess I can say, than the Shane and Rachel thing at the end, at, at the end of season one, because I think at least if, like Harper's big problem was, I seek, and to be clear, I don't mean like this is just a problem in her head. I'm just saying the way she identified their problem in their relationship was he was not attracted to her sexually. And that was something that was like insurmountable as far as she was, she was concerned, which I think makes sense. And then for him to kind of now, I don't know, have gotten over that in some way. And if he can just be attracted to her going forward, I think that is, that solves the problem ish right for but then it then it becomes if she never finds out right if he never shares that information and that is just his secret and i guess his and daphne's secret is that in some way still a violate you know like do, the classic thing of like do the ends justify the means mm -hmm. and mm, that's one of the ends of that's one of the corners of the dark triad <laughs> machiavellianism right, right. and you know, again, people are going to argue whether whether it does or doesn't. But I think it's it's what what do they both choose? Because ultimately, she's choosing she is still choosing to now go forward with him, whether or not she learns the truth of why uh, is is interesting to consider. Right. I, I think it's more compelling if she never does. But, you know, you got to imagine that it might come up at some point. And we also don't know if this is going to be the beginning of a pattern of behavior and what that's going to mean. Uh, perhaps um, some, some long-term sharing. Um, yeah, maybe this is like the annual uh, couple's vacation. Just got a lot more interesting. Got a lot more interesting. Uh, bring all your personal trainers from home. To this, to this well, trip. speaking of personal trainers, there is like a scene where we see Daphne FaceTiming with the kids and mm -hmm. Cameron is doesn't seem to be very interested. No, he pretends like he doesn't hear her, like mm -hmm. to the point of like obnoxious. Like she said your name like three or four times. You can clearly hear her. You're saying they're flossing. You're not even like mm -hmm. using an electrical toothbrush like <laughs> or, or something that would like block out the noise. It makes absolutely no sense. Come it's up so with childish. a better cover story, Cameron. It's so childish. But yeah, to your point, he kind of rolls his eyes and then he very, very fakely puts on this smile as he's about to turn the corner towards uh towards Daphne so he can FaceTime his children and he's not he's not happy about it. So I mean I think it's more complicated, but I think that's one of the things that we'll get into much more um as we continue to talk about this later this week. Mm -hmm. Um Ariel, are you ready to talk about the DeGrasso men? I am ready because it's it's kind of sweet in a weird way. <laughs> well, let's hear what's sweet, Ariel. What's sweet? The cannolis at the breakfast buffet. The what cannolis else? Cannolis are are can be very sweet, as mm. we know. There's something kind of. I, I was pleasantly surprised at Dominic not, or at least that we saw, like they didn't waste time on Dominic's like, I told you so scene. Like he kind of allows, allows Al, he paid Albie, let, let's call it spade a spade. He paid Albie in order to get Albie's end of the deal of like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to mom. 
And even though Dominic says that's not why I did it, that is absolutely why he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least why he even considered doing it to begin with. And he like he give he like doesn't make a big deal of it. I think it's like a way happier ending than than I was expecting for them, even though Albi was absolutely played and now he, Dominic is fifty thousand dollars in the hole, but clearly he doesn't care. Yeah, this 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 man seems to have plenty of money. Um, so basically, Lucia extorts fifty thousand euros from um, Dominic via Albi with her sob story about being in danger from a pimp um, from the very very friendly Alessio. <laughs> Alessio. Um, so it's very very clear now. I mean, some people were still speculating that this might um this might have been true that lucia might have been being earnest about this but it's very very clear now that um that this was a total con that lucia mm-hmm. was in no danger that this was a woman-owned business um and that alby was very very much a mark and lucia lays it on very thick with him like i don't want you to leave maybe i can come with L- come with you to la I'm such a fool. Because even as she's leaving, I'm like, but see, she's hesitating to leave. <laughs> so, like, she does really like <laughs> She loves him, Dr. Amanda. It's true love. It's true love. Maybe the hey, look, maybe they'll get back together, these two crazy kids one Stop. day. She's going she's gonna to show up to Stanford and be like, I'm ready to learn. It's, it's going to be it's gonna be so much fun. Um, So... What do you think? Albie comes to Dom with this. Like, I need 50,000 euros. Like, WTF, Albie. Like, come on. This is too much. This is like the jump. It's too far of a leap. Um, And I think, but I I did love this scene for Albie because he he has never been this self-assured ever. I think we've seen him try to act this way with Portia a little bit and like to like a very cringeworthy effect. And I think his his behavior in light of the Lucia situation and kind of how he rises to the occasion of getting conned <laughs> in this case is is compelling. And the thing that made it compelling was that they went there. Like for him to offer, for him to use Dominic's situation with Albie's mother as a you know, bargaining chip is super, super compelling and makes his character way more interesting than than he was before. So I I loved that moment. I mean, I think it's interesting, but I do think it's very dark and cynical. And I do like I do I think that this is a bad I think that this is an interesting scene for Albie as a character. And I think that Adam DeMarco has had a great season. I think he I think that he was pitch perfect uh in every episode in this season. Um, he did great, but this, I think is the worst. This is the worst look for Albie for me, because it's like, he's being very entitled, um, that he's demanding this of his father, like 50,000 euros. And, 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 and he's like at this point, and I think you can say that Dominic has this coming because he has sort of tried to use Albie and manipulate Albie's emotions about wanting his family to be together. Mm -hmm. But both of these men effectively do the same thing, which is like use 
his mother, like who we know her name is Abby, like use Abby as a pawn, like between each other. Like Albie is kind of withholding, putting in a word with Abby for Dom, but mm-hmm. then he's willing to trade it with him for $50,000. And while there is something sweet about his sympathy for Lucia, like Dom Dominic is a hundred percent correct. When he says, you just met this girl yesterday. Lots of people need help in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm not an NGO, like, which is I'm not an NGO, which is like incredible. This it's was very funny to me. Life. This felt like, and this felt like a kind of reminiscent of a Sopranos exchange here. Like I can mm-hmm. see, I could see this being like, that could be a Tony line there, but um, I need 50 K T. But like, I mean, I don't, is it, it just, it's, it's very naive. He's also manipulating his dad. He's also, he's using his mother as this bargaining chip in a way that feels very cynical. Like if you mm-hmm. really are worried about your mother's like well-being then fifty thousand dollars shouldn't make the difference about like whether or not your dad has changed and would be a good husband to her it's like that should be the thing that makes the difference in whether you talk to her or not it shouldn't be whether he gives your girlfriend lots of money yeah and i think for sure i i agree with you that it's that he's super entitled and even even in the way that I described before as like a little sweet, the way that he kind of is just like, ah, oh, well, I got played. Like, that's so, like, you don't, he's so deluded. And just the fact, he, like, he's not even taking the L in the correct way. Uh, but, but like I said, it's just so much more interesting to have him try to do this thing to his own detriment and like to the downfall of his own you know, pride and this fake personality that he kind of made up for himself. But he, I don't know that he thinks he learned a lesson, but I think he, if he's paying attention, he did. And it's a, it's a bad look for him, but a great look for a great look for the character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe he does, maybe he does learn a lesson after this. I did feel like in this scene, it was like very revealing that there's a way level in which, Albie is just like his father Mm -hmm. trading in sex and money in this transactional way. And of course he feels like, you know, he's saving this wounded little bird. Um, You know, Dom say to him, how are you going to make it in life? If you're this big a Mark, Mark, I loved that line. That was like, so real, like the, that from a parent to a child. It's, it's, I love it. It's incredible. Um, so, I mean, this was very interesting, like for them to have, like you said, this conversation between father and son, but I did really feel like as much as anything, this exchange reveals how similar these men are, even though they think of themselves as, as being very different from one another. Yeah. Um, particularly in, in Albie's case, because mm-hmm. I think he would be the one to say, I'm, I'm nothing like my father. Um, but Bert has found a way to reconcile all of the heartache from yesterday. It turns out, Ariel, it was it was just a dream. It was just a dream. And for a second, I was like, oh, is this, you know, are, are we now going to get the head, you know, the head mm-hmm. injury thing? But I think, you know, ultimately that we don't revisit it. So I think it's absolutely what you're saying of him just kind of chalking it up to a dream because the idea that what... The idea that that what happened last episode actually happened is way, way, way too sad for this yes. fragile old man. So he chooses to pretend like it never happened. And that's 
you know, sad for him, but I, I guess I get why he did it. Um, you know, Dominic is going to transfer the money to Lucia's account. Mm -hmm. He does call the accountant and, and, and they wire the money to Lucia. 50,000 euros, Ariel. It's, um, yeah, that, that's like at least a couple of months work, you know? So I think she did, <laughs> she, she made out great. So did, so did Mia, right? Mia got a, Mia got a, a, a piano gig and, mm -hmm. and some of that money. Cause you know, you know, Lucia is going to, you know, buy her. She's going to help out her friend. So yeah, Lucia and Mia winning here, winning big, um, and I did really like, though, that the show makes no bones about it. Um, you know, uh, no pun intended, because we do have <laughs> a scene where Mia and Bert exchange a hug. Um, but, yes. <laughs> um, you know, Albie and Lucia spend another night together um, after this generous gift from Dominic. And Lucia is out the door, out the door before literally Albie even wakes up just and, and in a way she does try to be quiet but like nowhere near as quiet as she should actually be being in my opinion I think the fact that he hears her at all is just kind of shows how much she doesn't actually care not that she doesn't care but she's clearly not fearful of him right like he if anyone's a little bird it's him she's you know he mm. thinks he thinks that it's her but really in her opinion it's kind of him and she's not even really worried that he's going to be mad. He's just, she kind of knows that he's going to accept it. So she leaves, he wakes up and he, they, I love that they get the final, the final uh, shot of the, of the whole season. It's uh, me and Lucia in. Yeah. Yeah. With their pockets a little heavier. Yes. Um, yeah, I do want to give I do want to give Albie a little bit of credit because I don't want to be too hard on him. He does end up talking to his mother before Dominic gets to have the opportunity to give the money. So it seems like it wasn't purely transactional. Maybe after all, perhaps Albie really does believe that his father has turned over a leaf and like and, you know, and he does want to support him in trying to reconcile with his mom so um that's possible and then we're gonna find out that when dominic calls abby as he has many other times this time she's going to actually answer the phone and say that they should talk when he gets back call me when you get back so i can dump you again no i i think i think it was hopeful for sure and i think albie you know, obviously he doesn't think his father has changed, but I think if, if, if no other reason he sees that his dad is kind of sad, even if it's in his own selfish, very not uh, actually having learned any lessons way. And I think, you know, between the money and, and everything else, Albie just decided to, to do this quote unquote good thing that he thinks might make his mom happy. I don't know. It, it's, it's all very messy and it's these, he, he can feel very good about it because it wasn't his money. Uh, I'm speaking of Albie and he, yeah. he thinks he did a good thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah. So, I mean, I think that Al, who knows what Albie, if Albie like has reevaluated this and is considering that the whole danger 
thing was a con. Like, I don't know how. I mean, he's going to tell Portia when they see each other at the airport that Lucia played him. So, like, yeah. I, I, I think that he does probably get it, that he is wise to it. Um, mm. And I don't know. I don't know whether Dom has changed. Right. Like. We have that scene at the airport where we he see wants all change. He where thinks we see all yes. He, <laughs> he has changed. He will change. He wants to change. Um mm -hmm. we see the three DeGrasso men like all check out the same young woman at mm -hmm. the airport. It's which I very much think was a nod to this idea that there is probably something about all three of them. Um, that has not changed, that there's lessons that they have not fully learned. Um, but we do see Dominic, aside from his first couple of nights with Lucia, um, be very contrite and very mournful and very aware of what he's lost uh, with no longer having his wife and his daughter in his life. So um, I think it's a little bit of a question. I think it's kind of both, right? Like, I think that there's some lesson that he's learned, but there's probably some things about him that he never will be able to change. Yeah. And I think this, this idea that maybe he does have a chance because Albie was willing to say something kind of reinvigorated his desire to actually change and his belief that he could, you know, I think there, I think there's something there. Um. So we just have a little bit of business to tie up with our Italian cast, with Valentina, our wonderful manager of the White Lotus. Um, mm -hmm. Where she was, she was missing for like a whole two hours this morning. I don't know if you saw her. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, housekeeping should definitely knock before they enter an empty suite. How dare they? So rude. Um, it seems like Valentina and Mia had a very lovely night together, Ariel. Yeah, they both seemed to genuinely have had a good time in a way that they can both be honest with each other about. And there's no lying. There's no leading each other on. There's no secrets. Are they the healthiest relationship on the show? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that may very well be. Like, I was really nervous about Valentina. I sort of expressed that during our feedback show that I thought that perhaps she was letting herself be vulnerable. And we do see her. She's, like, very excited to see. She wants to see Mia again. And I was worried that Mia was going to, like, lead Valentina on to think that this was something that it's not. And Mia does, you know, say kind of very uh, candidly to Valentina that she needs a real lesbian lover and that like she and Lucia will take her out to the clubs to find somebody who's really going to be a girlfriend or something like that. But it seems like Mia is very upfront that she's not that, but they can spend tonight together. Yeah. It's really sweet because she's like, I did enjoy our time together. We should spend more time together. But also you need to get yourself something real and not like I'm going to leave you to fend for yourself. We're going to help you with that. We can be your friends. The idea that like they've come full circle from yes. from Valentina literally like hushing and shushing and 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 uh, she was the know, witch moving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like uh, trying to remove them from the hotel to now like 
hiring one of them and possibly like start to hang out with them outside of work is is lovely and sweet. Um so so that's great. She even forgives Rocco. She even forgives Rocco. Rocco is welcome back. Everybody's happy. Giuseppe walks in and he immediately gets fired. We love that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Giuseppe. I hope your heart's okay. <laughs> it's mediocrity, Valentina yeah. says. You're Meritocracy. fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and he, he he accuses Mia of it being a conspiracy because she tried to kill him. I mean, but that it really piece of it isn't isn't wrong. It it really it just it couldn't have worked out better for me and Lucia Ariel. They killed it. They killed the game. Like I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> they didn't kill it like Tanya. Right. Did. Tanya literally they didn't, killed like, it. Literally murder people. They like, didn't, you know, like, spray bullets on a yacht full of high end gays. But she they came like. Uh, you know, like this was a, a she, she was like an armed gun person. This is crazy stuff. What happened to Tanya? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, Giuseppe, Giuseppe got, you know, I, I guess Giuseppe's the one body that Valentina caught, so to speak. You know, she did fire him, but, you know, he got he got what he he got what he deserved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can um, go like deconsecrate churches or whatever. Oh, <laughs> maybe that will be his next career. His job, yeah. Um. So just like season one, Ariel, we're going to um, end in an airport uh, where we see, you know, as I mentioned, all three of the DeGrasso men checking out a young woman. Mm. Um, Portia's there. Does she buy those sunglasses or does she just sort of shoplift them? You know, I, I know she looks in the mirror and then we see her. Do we see her rock, walk, walk away right away? I hadn't really considered that she might have shoplifted them, but in in light of what she just went through emotionally, I mm -hmm. think she's in a very, uh, she's in a place that would make it very easy to nonchalantly shoplift these here. Right. It's just like, I don't know, what is it? Like a three Arancini sort of yeah. price tag, <laughs> maybe? Three or four Arancini. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Salvatore, who apparently makes his own homemade Arancini. Yeah. So red and white, I think. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go back and watch that so I can get all the details about the Arancini. Um, Portia and Albie find each other at the airport, Ariel. I guess the the the, miss, the nice guy doesn't always finish last. <laughs> Sometimes if you're a nice guy and the girl that you're interested in is kind of kidnapped and her boss is murdered, but kind of not really murdered, but like dies, you might have a chance <laughs> with her. I think that's the moral here. <sighs> Um, yeah, they have like uh, this really, I mean, I love their exchanges. Like they do feel so real and especially what, like given what, how both of them have been through like these kind of surreal experiences with their other love interests to see them come together and have like what felt like such a conversation between two awkward 20 somethings who are still trying to, you know, figure out who they are. I think that there's something sweet about that. Um, you know, he asked her, how is Palermo? Not great. Not great um, which is very honest. And yeah. Hilarious. Like, what about that other guy? He, oh, he's deranged. Yeah, he's deranged. <laughs> which, again, she's just being honest here. And I think she's mm -hmm. the one that asks him for his number first. Like, I she, think does. she does. She like, does. Okay, I kind of, I did maybe, uh, you know, pull 
what is it pull on his chain a little bit dragging mm. his chain whatever the whatever the actual metaphor is oh did he take his chain out Ariel? <laughs> <laughs> but um she's like yeah you know what this guy's feeling this boring guy is looking yeah. a lot more fascinating and interesting right. to me right now after what i just went through yeah i would like love to you know put a pin in this for one of our feedback shows um, to talk a little bit more about like, what is the big relationship lesson that Alvi and Portia learn after their experiences in Sicily? Um, You know, what do they come away with? But they're going to exchange numbers and they seem, you know, happy to have, you know, met each other. They leave with a smile. And then as you said, Ariel, we see on the beautiful streets of Terramina, those cobble, the cobblestone corso, if you will, Mia and Lucia truly living their best lives, saying hello to Alessio, giving him kisses on the cheek. He's totally a friend and they're arm in arm, uh, just sort of gallivanting along the corso mm-hmm. together. What a lovely ending. What a lovely ending. I was literally smiling like an idiot, just from (laughs) ear to ear. So happy that my two girls survived and that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Lenu and Elena comps from, uh, from my brilliant friend, they live on. It just feels, it feels so right. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a genuinely beautiful note to end on. Like I feel so much, happier and lighter coming out of this season than I felt coming out of season one, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting. Like there's something that's a lot kind of sinister, more sinister and darker in a way about season two, because, you know, like we said in season one, yes, there's a death, but this was a complete sort of accidental manslaughter situation Um, We have many more dead bodies at the end of season two. We had multiple cons going on. One of them was an elaborate hit that a husband put on his wife. Like, so there was this very dark undercurrent throughout, but I do think that it ended on a note that was a little bit more hopeful. And we did point out that in season one, the Quinn storyline where he leaves and go and decides to stay in Hawaii had this really lovely, hopeful note. And I think that Mike white wants to give that to us at the end of the season and for it to come with the younger characters feels very right. And this kind of promise that, yeah, like maybe Daphne and Cameron have a really messed up marriage and maybe Harper and Ethan are going down this road that isn't entirely healthy. Tanya is dead. Um, you know, Bert didn't get what he wanted from his Sicily trip. We don't well, know what's going to dream anyway. It was all a dream. We don't know what's going to happen with Dom, but this younger generation, like they haven't made these mistakes yet. Like maybe there's, questions about their judgment maybe there's uncertainty in the path ahead but there's also hope and I do think that that's essential with a story like this which did at times feel very dark and like I said I don't know what we take away as a message about marriage um, at the end of two seasons of the White Lotus but 
I mean, seeing Lucia and Mia together was just mm -hmm. pure joy. Yeah. And they're rich. And Mia gets to sing. There's much better music at the White Lotus Hotel now. Um, and, you know, that's that put a smile on my face. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of makes sense on a show that's in some ways a lot about like subverting expectations that it there there isn't always a lesson or, or at least not a not a clear one not a not a a uh one that is that seems to be ringing out more loudly than than another i think it's it's just people and that's what makes it that's what makes it so fascinating to just consider these people have always felt so fleshed out and so like their lives actually lived in and their you know their interactions with each other and I think that's that that bared out throughout the whole season and it was it was honestly just a just a joy to to watch and and get to talk to about with you yes oh Ariel it's been so much fun to talk about the White Lotus with you, um, I, you know, we got to enjoy our Aperol spritzes together when we saw each other in DC. Um, and I would love to toast, uh, you know, to you, you know, many more times uh, to, to, you know, this, this has been so much fun to do together. Um, and I'm really excited that we get to, you know, take a breath now having seen the finale of season two and talk about it with some more great people. Yeah, some great guests, like you already said, and and um, people give their feedback, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of, just even outside of the feedback, a lot of uh, people's reactions to everything that happened, and it's, 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 it's nice to, it's nice to have had this show that everyone was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I, there's already, I'm seeing like lots of messages in the discord um with people talking about it uh we definitely want to hear what you have to think were you happy with how the story ended um what's your take on how all of these character arcs ended up at the end of the season um send all of that in uh you can find me on twitter where i'm at dr amanda r Yes, and I am also on Twitter at that other Ariel. Uh, you can send me email feedback, arielpusherrecaps.com. Hit us up on the Discord if you're a patron of Pusher Recaps, patreon.com slash Pusher Recaps. Uh, gets you access to the Discord. And we're we're going to be back later this week with, with more stuff, so uh, stay tuned for that. But until then, RIP to Tanya forever. Arriba Derche. Bye. -bye.